Who am I to tell you how to do sprint workouts when I seem to have some trouble doing them properly myself? Welcome to the B-Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times bestselling author, former number three world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth, and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. <laughs> Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you. Of course, it's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. Welcome, listeners, to another Q&A episode. Thank you so much for writing in. So many thoughtful questions and lengthy commentaries. Uh, A lot of them are success stories, compliments, or feedback for the show. So we are going to dig into the mailbag, and I can't wait to engage and race through the many pages (laughs) backed up of people writing in at podcast at bradventures.com. We read everything. We evaluate everything. We're so happy to be on this journey with you. And I want to give a special thanks out to all the devoted listeners that have helped us bump into the top 50 rankings of the Apple Podcast Fitness category, an extremely crowded category of great shows. And it's a great honor to be up there. And it helps with the visibility so much to be highly ranked because then uh, new uh, podcast listeners can navigate on Apple Podcasts and find the show prominently displayed as one of the choices. It also helps tremendously if you can go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or if you listen through another podcast player like Spotify. Uh, It's a great, great service to the show and it helps increase our attention and prominence. And if you take the trouble to do so, I I appreciate it greatly and we'll also do something back for you. So uh, leave a review, uh, send a screenshot or just say, hey, Brad, I left a review. I'm too lazy to take a screenshot. We trust you and we will get you a free BRAD nutrition product of your choice. Just email podcast at bradventures.com for details. Thank you so much for listening to this top 50 ranked show. And then we go to the questions. The first one is from longtime listener Jay Dominic. He says, Brad, I've been following your dietary journey and evolution. Uh, I especially like the podcast with um, Jay Feldman, where he's talking about uh, energy balance, uh, Uh, philosophy. And Jay says, as you add carbs back into your breakfast, have you noticed any changes to your blood work, such as fasting insulin, HbA1c, ratio of triglycerides to HDL, and so forth? Great question, because uh, a lot of the programming and the dogma that we've been hit with, especially in the ancestral health scene, is that carbs are somehow considered evil. And this is an insight that I think is extracted from the disease paradigm where we have 
massive numbers of modern population consuming too many calories in general, too many processed nutrient deficient calories, and not doing sufficient exercise, and therefore heading down those well-trodden disastrous paths to metabolic disease, cancer, heart disease, and all the major killers and causes of accelerated aging these days. So if you have good metabolic health and you're leading an active energetic lifestyle, nutritious, easy to digest carbs are a very important aspect of how to get uh, maximum energy performance and recovery. So one of the uh, main changes in my blood work, Jay, that I've noticed since doing this little experiment to dramatically increase carbohydrate intake and total caloric intake that has now lasted for a year and a half or so. I started in May of 2022, inspired by Jay Feldman and many others who are singing the same tune about uh, rejecting some of these notions that we have to uh, devotedly restrict carbohydrates in order to perform or to get these uh, metabolic and blood benefits. I've noticed that my blood work is still exceptional category. There's no risk factors to uh, to worry about. My fasting insulin is like 2.7, which is extremely low. Um, the same with HbA1c, triglycerides to HDL. My HDL is higher than my triglycerides, so I'm better than the ideal one-to-one ratio. Uh, if you are in the category of uh, carrying excess body fat, wishing you could remove it, having some concerns on your blood work, then you have a different set of decision-making parameters than someone who is active, energetic, and healthy with good blood work, obviously. But at the same time, I'm going to contend that any type of restrictive diet is going to deliver excellent results when you are in that metabolic disease risk category. It simply means get up and get moving more and quit eating so much food, especially processed foods. So you can try a phase of time-restricted eating. You can go on a ketogenic journey as we describe in our best-selling book, Mark Sisson and I, The Keto Reset Diet. We have a six-week protocol where you can do a reset for your metabolism, fine-tune your fat burning, cut those carbs out for a devoted period of time and kick over into fat burning and away from carbohydrate dependency. But mainly, before we get into the nitty-gritty details of dietary transformation, the simple first step to take is to just eliminate nutrient-deficient processed foods from your diet. And by doing so and emphasizing natural, nutritious foods, you are going to have tremendous health breakthroughs perhaps without the risks associated with those restrictive diets that can easily become too stressful. And we have uh, now talked about for quite some time the highly devoted, uh, type A, goal-oriented peak performers who have engaged in restrictive dietary strategies such as keto, such as time-restricted feeding, and tried to continue crushing their workouts at 6 a.m. in the CrossFit gym or out on the roads and trails and when you stack up all these stress factors on one side of the balance scale, you are easily trending into an overly stressful lifestyle pattern, which can cause compensatory responses. Um, they call it the compensation theory of exercise, where if you don't eat enough and you exercise uh, in an overly stressful pattern, you're going to turn down an assortment of very important metabolic hormonal and, and overall systemic functions, especially things like your thyroid get disturbed. Uh, people talk about adrenal fatigue, uh, brain fog in the afternoon. All these are symptoms of overly stressful patterns that can include not just those workouts being uh, too challenging, but also not fueling yourself sufficiently with uh, nutritious carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Okay, so um, just to get back to answering this question, the main change I noticed in my blood work was a good bump in serum testosterone levels up over 800 uh, over the past four or five years. As I've tested incessantly, my serum testosterone has ranged from 560 to 1008. And that's a pretty big range, but it's all uh, in the pretty healthy category where I'm generally in the 650, 750, 800 range. But I did notice a distinct bump when I started to uh, go deliberately to that huge bowl of fruit in the morning, that huge protein smoothie following that up, instead of my historical pattern of fasting or consuming minimal calories until midday and then sitting down for a big meal. So uh, my, my takeaway here, 
is clean up your freaking act and get rid of those processed foods uh, by any means necessary, especially if you aspire to lead a healthy, active, energetic lifestyle. And then if you want to dabble uh, in some form of restricted eating because you simply uh, can't stay away from indulgent foods, uh, go ahead and knock yourself out. But I also contend when you emphasize natural, nutritious, easy-to-digest foods, you're going to self-regulate. You're going to optimize your appetite and satiety hormones such that you consume an appropriate amount of calories every day to fuel your active energetic lifestyle. You don't have to look at apps or charts or starve yourself or struggle or suffer because it's not two o'clock yet, but you're dying to eat, but you're trying to do a time-restricted pattern this week, or you're gonna can't wait till your cheat day on the weekend where you can overindulge. All that stuff I consider to be nonsense when we're not focused on the central point of emphasizing natural, nutritious foods. And a quick example of that is if you're going and eating big bowls of fruit or having an omelet for breakfast or a wonderful steak dinner with the accoutrements that you love on the side, you're going to naturally feel satisfied, especially when you emphasize dietary protein, which is our number one most important objective to achieve in the diet. Protein is highly satiating to the point that you're not going to get yourself into trouble or pick up some extra pounds of unwanted body fat by consuming too many omelets or too much ground beef or too many steaks. Uh, in contrast to having these indulgent foods around and uh, getting into the, uh, the pint of ice cream uh, to the extreme extent because you're trying to recover from that exhaustive 6 a.m. workout at the gym later that day. So that's my answer to Jay. And uh, he continues on with some more comments. I myself have pushed the boundaries of fasting too far, and it can result in cold hands and feet and also increased cortisol, says Jay. And that's super interesting comment because I have also noticed on those days when I don't consume sufficient morning calories per my new pattern that I talk about so much, I get these experiences of feeling cold in the afternoon under normal conditions. And then I go and get myself a big meal and things uh, correct. And I possibly am now, after a year and a half of turbocharging my metabolism with increased caloric intake, I am possibly more sensitive to the times where I don't get sufficient calories. In other words, my adaptability to go long periods of time without eating has diminished and I get hungry more easily, especially in the morning. I get intense sensations of hunger if I don't go to my typical protocol of the big bowl of fruit and the big protein smoothie, or if I'm making eggs or a proper meal, which also happens frequently in the morning. Interesting, isn't it? Because we've talked for so long, especially with the, uh, the ketogenic boilerplate and the, the low carb, the fasting communities saying, uh, boy, I can uh, work all morning and feel super productive and alert and energized and I'm not even hungry anymore. And isn't that a fantastic bonus from doing all the hard work to become fat adapted? Now, indeed it is if you're referencing the disease paradigm where previously you couldn't do so much as skip a single meal without feeling famished and reaching for the nearest vending machine or getting brain fog and so forth. Those are signs of poor metabolic flexibility. So I'm not going to discount or unwind any of the stuff we've talked about, but I also uh, echo Jay Feldman's wonderful position that he described on our podcast interviews where perhaps experiencing sensations of hunger is a good thing because you have turbocharged your metabolism and you are a more active energetic being that is maybe not best served to wait around until 12 noon in the name of health like I did versus going and getting some nutritious food to fuel a busy day. And that side effect of turning down uh, thermoregulatory with cold hands and cold feet is definitely a, 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 a proof or a validation that your body will turn down the flames when you don't fuel it sufficiently. Uh, so now Jay says, my own breakfast uh, has evolved from fasting or just eating fat and protein to where now I'm eating a, a three egg omelet, a piece of fruit, black coffee. Uh, I, I do like adding carbs back in, but I don't want those wild spikes and crashes in blood sugar that I used to have 
with the standard American diet. Uh, very well said, because when we talk about carbs and people say I'm sensitive to carbs, what we're really talking about for the most part is that sensitivity to nasty nutrient deficient processed carbs, which we uh, in standard American diet eat uh, way too much of. And somehow they've been grouped together with natural nutritious sources of carbohydrates, particularly fruit. Um, so if anyone wants to write into the show or stop me on the street and say, hey, Brad, actually uh, uh, eating fruit uh, can be unhealthy and you can overdo it and uh, uh, damage your liver with too much uric acid, I will shoot back in your face and say, look, you are talking about uh, insights pulled from the disease paradigm of people who have poor metabolic health. And I challenge anyone to tell me that my beautiful bowl of fresh fruit every morning is, is unhealthy. Okay, um, this is still Jay talking on a different subject. He says, I re heard a recent podcast from Saladino where he reviews his blood work, and Paul mentions that he too has improved some of his markers, especially free testosterone, um, by phlebotomy to lower his iron levels. Do you have any thoughts about this? What are your views on total testosterone versus free testosterone? Do you know athletes that pay attention to their ferritin level? Um, that's about, what, six questions in one paragraph. <laughs> nice, man. That's why I like the sharp listeners. We're not, don't, we don't got no fluffy questions on this show. So improving free testosterone through phlebotomy, I have never heard of that. I will uh, certainly um, accept Saladino's explanation as he's a well-trained physician and knows a lot about this. Uh, we are very familiar with the risks of uh, higher iron levels uh, associated with all kinds of um, disease risk and poor metabolic health. And I have been in that category myself a couple times in my past where the recommendation was to go give some blood and get that iron back into healthy range. But I did not know there was any um, association with a testosterone level from having elevated iron. Now, uh, views on total testosterone, often called serum testosterone, versus free testosterone. Um, most people uh, pay the, uh, the, the uh, offer the soundbite up that free testosterone is more important because free is the circulating amount in your bloodstream. But it's really highly nuanced. And I've done a lot of research here. I'm working on a book about testosterone. I've listened to Tommy Wood, one of the most respected uh, uh, physicians in the ancestral health scene. And he contends that serum testosterone is a very good indication of your overall hormonal health, uh, as is free testosterone. But again, um, just obsessing with free testosterone at the expense of serum testosterone or, or diminishing that uh, can be a mistake. Uh, one uh, uh, point that Tommy makes is that free testosterone is measured in pictograms, which is, is it a trillionth or a millionth of a gram or something? So we're talking about infinitesimal amounts in the bloodstream there's some potential for uh, variation in test results just because it's so small, or especially uh, day by day, where it might be better to look at the total amount circulating, uh, that would be the serum testosterone, and associate the free testosterone together with a healthy serum level. So most of the charts that you see are uh, the ranges, the average values that you see on a blood test, or you can Google on the internet, they're talking about serum testosterone levels. Now, in certain conditions of poor metabolic or overall health or elevated stress, chronic stress levels, you can have a healthy serum testosterone level, but an unhealthy free testosterone level. And I too have been in that category before where my free T was outside of the healthy range, even though my serum T was decent. So for overall uh, hormonal health, we wanna see uh, a high serum testosterone level, not normal, but high, because remember, we're talking about a population that is in uh, epidemic decline of average testosterone levels by about 1% a year since the 80s. So indeed, um, grandson has <laughs> lower testosterone than dad, who has lower testosterone than grandpa. And this is a disaster. It's blamed on many things, including the 
environmental pollution, the estrogenic influences in the environment, the chemicals from uh, our, our skin care, home care, cleaning products, detergents, uh, drinking and consuming uh, food out of plastic containers, all kinds of things. Uh, the, the EMFs are being blamed for this too, as well as the global obesity epidemic and the epidemic of poor metabolic health and the increased incidence of visceral fat accumulation around the abdomen, which is a known testosterone killer. So we have all these things working against us today to the extent that if you deliver a blood test and your doctor says, hey, well, your testosterone is normal, you do not want to settle for normal. You want to be exceptional by today's standards. And I'm uh, uh, reflecting on the time when I, I've done some postings about my, uh, my blood tests and my testosterone levels over time on Instagram and talked about them on the podcast too. And one time I was patting myself on the back for being in the 95th percentile for uh, males in my age group. And then I'm like, wait a second, 95th percentile should be considered um, okay or average versus exceptional because we're competing or comparing against a bunch of sorry ass uh, floppy spare tire people as the metabolic norm in today's world. So go for the shoot for the skies here, man. Testosterone is the essential male hormone for energy, focus, uh, peak performance, recovery. And it's a very, very good proxy for your overall state of general health and fitness. That's why I test it obsessively. It's very um, uh, sensitive to changes in things like your overall stress levels. So if you have high cortisol, that is known to antagonize your testosterone levels. And that will get you away from chronic stress lifestyle patterns. In my case, as I mentioned, my range from uh, 560 to 1008, I think most of that variation uh, came from my training patterns, particularly when I was pushing things a little too hard and I would go in and deliver a lower number, number than the previous time. So get your testosterone optimized, both serum and free. Certainly don't obsess on free testosterone at the exclusion of serum testosterone. We want both of those numbers up high. And I thank my consultation with Mary Cal for suggesting some targeted supplementation that seemed to give me a significant bump in my free testosterone levels. And that was uh, taking things like boron and vitamin B6. And you can check out um, a, a personal blood consultation service where an expert can give you some recommendations rather than me making a blanket recommendation. Try this supplement and you'll raise your free testosterone. Not that simple. Okay, so I think that covers um, the, uh, the, the, the question from Jay. And now we go to, oh, excuse me, more stuff from Jay. Hey, that's what you get when you get a great contributor. Brad, can you do an episode on your daily diet but get more into macros? How much protein, fat, and carbs do you consume in grams at each meal? Uh, my answer right now, I can save you the trouble. I have no freaking clue. The last time I measured my macros was many years ago in the course of writing uh, actually several books where we put in uh, some uh, dietary uh, measurements and sample meals. Like, what is an omelet? It's 43 grams of protein, uh, 12 grams of carbohydrate, and uh, 27 grams of fat. So we have all that stuff archived for eternity in the Library of Congress and elsewhere that you can look up and uh, get some great stuff in there. I believe uh, the Primal Blueprint, the Primal Blueprint 21-Day Total Body Transformation, as well as the Keto Reset Diet, uh, had a lot of macro analysis in there. Um, personally, I think it's a, a waste of energy and time, and I don't want to over-obsess on uh, th things like that to the extent that it crowds out uh, better things to do with my day and um, ways that I can be more productive or, or enjoy my life more. So I, I can't imagine measuring my caloric intake. And we also have to recognize that when we're playing around on the internet or getting our fancy new app that's talking about calories, we are making a uh, quite poor estimate of the true caloric contribution of the food you eat and also a pretty poor estimate of the amount of calories that you're burning during the workout. So when you go to the gym, and you squeeze the handles or you're wearing a smartwatch and it said that you burn 437 calories during your, uh, your, your hike or your workout. It's just really a wild guess um, based on some things that can range a lot. And also with the food, um, we have to remember uh, factors like um, if you're consuming processed nutrient deficient food, um, it might have a caloric value 
But if your body has a hard time burning it, such as the common criticism of refined industrial seed oils, it really doesn't do any good to count those calories as anything except for health-destructive ingestion of toxic agents. Um, it's also interesting to recognize that there's a, a so-called thermic effect of food, and depending on the macronutrient, a portion of the energy goes to digesting the food itself, protein being by far the highest. So uh, it's believed that the thermic effect of ingesting protein is around 20%. So if you have um, five eggs, one of those 20% is uh, the, the energy, the caloric energy is devoted to digesting the protein. Also, protein is very, uh, almost impossible to actually use to burn for caloric energy for output. So it goes to the building blocks of life and important essential uh, biological functions in the body. So there's really uh, no justification whatsoever to count protein calories in your daily caloric intake in, in the name of trying to reduce excess body fat by counting the calories that you burn and counting the calories that you eat. So from here for, uh, if you have one takeaway from this commentary is forget about protein calories, except for to emphasize them as your number one dietary goal to ensure that you get your uh, daily biological functions met, especially for those in the older age groups. It is known that the elderly have a much more difficult time with protein synthesis than younger folks. So, um, you know, uh, uh, my son, who's uh, 25, consumes a crap ton of protein, keeps calling for more bags of B-Rad Superfuel. I can't believe you finished five already in a number of months, but he is lifting weights. He's maintaining a, a, a frame with 215 pounds of solid muscle and chowing on the protein. Uh, but my mother, who's 86 and active and energetic and doing great, also has increased protein requirements. So um, they should be fighting in the cupboard over that uh, uh, bag of B-Rad Superfuel to make sure that they go over and above and get um, you know a very good uh, dialing in of uh, necessary protein intake. It's also believed that many uh, seniors uh, do not consume sufficient protein because they're not out there cranking up the blender and pouring these big smoothies uh, like the kids that coming home from the gym are. So uh, there's a lot of categories of people that need extra protein, and it's believed that a lot of people are falling short. And when you fall short on protein, you will get tired. You will not recover as well from stress and from workouts, and you will turn down essential metabolic functions to where you have those afternoon blues and brain fog and uh, increased risk of injury and soreness and stiffness after workouts. So get your protein needs dialed and don't worry about counting calories. Um, uh, also, as Jay Feldman talked about, when you consume junk like uh, refined industrial seed oils, processed sugar, chemical-laden foods, they promote the release of endotoxins. That's an internally manufactured toxin, uh, namely lipopolysaccharide, it's called. They promote the release of these chemical agents into your bloodstream such that you have a difficult time burning these uh, nasty processed food calories for energy and you slow down your metabolism and also interferes and causes difficulty with burning stored body fat. That's why these seed oils are blamed as the number one culprit for insulin resistance and metabolic disease these days. They interfere with your ability to burn body fat. So if you can't burn stored body fat, you become reliant on ingested calories. And if you're ingested crap, ingesting crappy calories, you're going to go down that path to obesity, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes. So again, clean up your diet. Oh, here's a fun question. The final one from Jay. Uh, Brad, if you were named Surgeon General of the United States of America, what would your recommendations be for the general public in terms of diet, exercise, sleep, sun exposure, breath work, etc.? Thank you for that question. Um, here's what I would do. First things first, I would make every uh, government worker, because I would have some influence and control over uh, millions of employees work for uh, federal, right? I would make every government worker uh, complete a mile before sitting down to work every single day. This is a new law and a mandate for all government workers. I was praying that Governor Arnold would do that in the state of California when he became governor. Um, I talked and actually pursued this objective 
uh, with my good friend, the former state superintendent of schools in California, Tom Torlikson, uh, who's a lifelong runner and uh, a coach for decades of high school uh, distance runners. And I said, can we possibly do this? Can we have it be a school law? Just like when you get up and have to salute the flag and say the Pledge of Allegiance. That was baked into law, right, when we were growing up. I think it still is. I'm not sure. Can we just make every kid run a mile in the morning? Um, I didn't succeed on the uh, institutional level, but with my charity that I used to run, it was a kid's fitness charity called Running School. Get it? Running School. Running School. We went into uh, targeted elementary schools and put on these uh, a great fitness event several times a year to encourage the kids to uh, enjoy uh, cardiovascular exercise and get out there and get active and even compete and try to improve their times in the uh, widely tested fitness gram, it's called, where they uh, used to be called the presidential fitness test, where uh, every kid in fifth grade in the state of California is tested uh, at their time in the one mile run. And they had a disastrous failing rate back when the latest research was published. So like 40% of the school children in California could not complete a mile in the basic standard time to be considered fit. And this is a great predictor for uh, lifelong disease patterns associated with being inactive and unfit. So we tried to do something about it with running school. And at my kids' elementary school, I succeeded in starting the day with what we called the morning mile. And we had parent volunteers out there on this course that circled the entire school and when that first bell rang, the principal and the teachers all bought in to give the kids an extra chunk of time. Uh, when the bell rang, rather than reporting to class, everyone dropped their backpack and went to the trail and completed a lap around school and then went into class. So we had a small little uh, blip of light uh, covering this big picture of an inactive population. And if I were Surgeon General, I would step up and uh, call that press conference and say, if you work for the United States government, you need to get your butt in shape. And the first thing you're going to do every day is complete a mile. <laughs> um, what would I do uh, with, with, uh, on the diet side? Well, I'd try to um, get rid of the government influence and the flawed public policy and the lobbying and the subsidies for things like corn and soybean oil. And that would be kind of fun. Um, I would put processed food advertising in the same category as cigarettes and tax the shit out of all that stuff. And that's the only way that we're going to get, um, you know, uh, widespread uh, cultural change is to properly identify these things as poisons and disease-causing uh, agents that should never be ingested, uh, have the Surgeon General warning on a bag of potato chips rather than just on a pack of cigarettes. Oh my gosh, that would be super fun, huh? Uh, item number five, still Jay. I enjoyed your recent episodes talking about Liver King's PED scandal. I just want to say, I think I speak for the audience when I say you are a real Liver King. You're in the top 1% of fitness for your age group, have visible abs, and you're honest with us about what you take. Thank you for creating all this great content and allowing uh, you uh, to join us on this journey. Thanks a lot, Jay. I appreciate it. And yeah, on that subject, as I talked about uh, back when the uh, the scandals broke and the big picture insights about um, what we owe uh, the public when we're uh, a public figure and, and communicating uh, in broad forum. Um, everything I've ever said on this show is completely honest and not embellished. So um, I'm going to go back through the 400 episodes and uh, validate that, that I'm not here saying that I do something that I don't do uh, to make me look better, because I think that's uh, real trouble and that's the least that um, uh, I owe the audience. So when I talk about my running injuries, uh, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to admit that I make these mistakes, possibly due to misplaced competitive intensity and perhaps even flawed training protocols. So who am I to tell you how to do sprint workouts when I seem to have some trouble doing them properly myself because there goes my strained glute muscle again and I have to back off for a couple of weeks. Uh, but I'm certainly honest about the uh, the, the shortcomings and the, uh, the failures and the rethinking and recalibrating of my fixed and rigid beliefs so that they're never fixed and rigid and I'm always open-minded. So I'm going to pound my drum like I just did saying what I would do when I was Surgeon General, but it's really, really important to have an open mind, think critically, and test and refine and evaluate things for yourself rather than just uh, doggedly uh, adhere to uh, a, a dogma 
because it's familiar to you and things that are unfamiliar or counter to your belief systems uh, cause you to, to recoil. So um, I will have responsible, interesting conversations with uh, uh, someone who's in, in the vegan camp, which I am uh, not, not at all uh, supportive of. And I'll talk about how that's a high-risk diet. I will validate their arguments, especially on the morality side where um, they want to be good to the planet. Therefore, they've chosen not to eat animals. I will point out that um, uh, mainstream agriculture is also highly destructive to the planet and the greenhouse gas emissions and all those counterpoints. And um, we'll talk through things, but I'm certainly not going to uh, dismiss someone who believes differently than me, especially when there's a lot to learn from people that are uh, on uh, the other side of, let's say, uh, a debate issue. Okay. And now we go to um, uh, Bryce. Next question. I'm pleased to present BRAD grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the superfuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Uh, he's an active 35-year-old who likes to keep in shape. Intermittent fasting for individuals who are already metabolically healthy and have good body composition is really not needed. My opinion, it's ideally for people who are still carb-burning and have a lot of body fat to lose and have not trained their body to be fat burners. I used to religiously track and fast all the time, but I realized I was actually losing muscle mass, not able to get enough calories in on such a restricted eating window, and generally felt like I didn't need to since I'm fit and have achieved good body composition. Also, too much time-restricted eating spikes cortisol and become can become very rigid and restrictive. I still go periods of time without eating. Of course, I no longer go purposely out of my way to time-restricted fast. I used it at one point as a tool in the toolkit, but too many people are getting overly consumed by fasting and eating windows. I also generally try to eat my main protein meal earlier in the day to allow more time to digest like a big steak and try to do all my eating during daytime hours. And also way too many people are fasting all the way through the day and eating a big meal late at night. Uh, I have started to eat more during the day and will stop eating from dinner till lunch. Okay, very well said. Thank you very much, Bryce, especially a active 35-year-old who's metabolically healthy. Um, I agree with all your message. And especially important point you made was that when you are uh, trying to fit your eating into a time-restricted window, you are going to bump up against a real challenge when it comes to uh, eating and assimilating sufficient protein calories. So it's known from science, uh, great shows on uh, Peter Tia Drive podcast from Dr. Don Lehman, one of the world's leading protein experts, uh, where he says, um, you know, we can't uh, uh, assimilate massive doses of protein at a single meal. Ben Greenfield talks about this a lot. I think the number bantered about uh, was 40 grams or perhaps 60 grams is the most that we can truly assimilate at a single sitting. And we want to strive to get somewhere around one gram per pound of body weight. That's on the high side of the recommendations, which I am now sticking to and promoting. And it's also easy to remember. So we want you to get around one gram, one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day. 
And so now if you're getting up there into, for example, I weigh 165, 165 grams, if I were to try and eat in a time-restricted window, knowing that I can only get around 40 to 50 grams of good assimilation uh, per meal, uh, I'm going to be um, hosed there because I only have this many hours to eat. Uh, that's 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 going to be like eating four meals inside this 12 to 8 eating window or whatever I'm doing. Dr. Lehman made a great point that uh, he recommends getting protein first thing in the morning is super important because otherwise, since you have been fasted during your overnight sleeping period, you are going to go into catabolic to to uh, you know get the um, get your caloric needs met in the morning. So first thing in the morning, protein to maintain metabolic or anabolic state and avoid catabolic state, I think is a really good point. And he also said you want to take some protein uh, at the end of your eating day. Um, I like how Bryce says he doesn't, doesn't eat after dark. I'm not quite there. Sometimes you're going to see some popcorn or some chocolate leaking in after dark, but um, good overall strategy to finish your eating uh, in sufficient time to allow your digestive system to rest and set you up for a good night's sleep but as your last act. Uh, a scoop of uh, super fuel would be a fantastic idea to set you up for a nice evening of repair and restoration and rebuilding because that's when the main rebuilding occurs is during your overnight sleeping window. So you definitely want to have the amino acids circulating in your bloodstream, um, not overburdening your digestive system um, with a huge smoothie right before bed, although my son does that a lot. And that's how he's able to keep on uh, a lot of extra muscle mass, which is his goal. But if you can just take that final scoop of protein, making sure that you're topping off your daily requirements and not getting into that deficiency, which can be defined as catabolic state as opposed to anabolic or metabolic, that is a, a, a great tips overall. Um, and again, if you're uh, someone who's struggling with excess body fat, you don't have that, uh, you're not giving yourself that uh, full license to go and eat uh, whatever you want uh, all day long. You need to implement tools like time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, uh, carb restriction for a ketogenic period. All those things can be highly effective, but we would like to view those as tools rather than uh, the necessity of adhering to a time-restricted eating window uh, for the rest of your life in the name of health. And I do appreciate how uh, many of the leaders are now backing up uh, uh, unwinding some of this commentary about how uh, calorie restriction uh, is equated with longevity. And it's simply uh, been unproven ever in studies with humans because we can't very well starve humans in the name of science and say, hey, these people live 10 years longer than these guys who, who ate a lot of food and these guys were starved. Um, we do have some great data from something called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment which occurred with conscientious objectors to the Vietnam War. So rather than serve in the military or go to jail, they were offered some alternative options. And one of them was to go to a ward uh, at the University of Minnesota. So this would be, uh, I believe, in the late 60s. And they spent uh, several weeks in there uh, with very precise calorie restriction slash starvation in the name of science. And uh, there's some great podcasts about this. Mal Malcolm Gladwell has one where these guys talk about the, uh, the lifelong implications and repercussions from performing such a brutal experiment. Um, the results were not pretty. These guys pretty much uh, wasted away. They became obsessed with food. They had all kinds of health and metabolic problems that occurred and uh, were difficult to unwind. Uh, there's one uh, family members are interviewed talking about how their dad always had food with them wherever he went for the rest of his life because his brain was so traumatized by the Minnesota starvation experiment. Uh, but uh, a, a simple takeaway was that, you know, everything tanked, especially things like testosterone and other important blood values from consuming ins uh, insufficient calories. So starving the human has not been proven to do anything but lead to disaster uh, on the extreme side. Now, um, can you extend your lifespan and escape disease patterns if you uh, tone down your overconsumption of calories and your under-exercising? Of course, that would be uh, the essential goal to turn your health around. Um, Dr. Lane Norton uh, simplifies it with the term energy toxicity being the main problem with global metabolic health today. And energy toxicity is simply that you are storing more calories than you are burning 
And the way to address that is to get out there and get moving and then uh, minimize your intake, especially of nutrient deficient processed calories, as I talked about before. Um, so that, that goes for everybody. And um, you can go into uh, you know a, a quick program to drop uh, several pounds of excess body fat by any means necessary and by any gimmick that you want. But looking at big picture, we simply want to emphasize natural, nutritious foods, and we are going to be looking really good over time. Okay, uh, another question. How can parents prioritize protein for their kids when eating at home? What about when eating out? What kind of fast food choices? And the same question for adults. Uh, how can we make smarter decisions when eating in restaurants? Well, I mean, when you prioritize protein, you can do pretty well in a restaurant by asking for, um, you know, I always get my hamburgers uh, with a lettuce wrap because I don't want to eat their uh, nasty bread. I'm much bigger fan of going to the farmer's market on the weekend and buying a fresh loaf of bread, which lasts, I think, two or three days and then starts to uh, be beyond prime time. But when you have that fresh baked, and I talk to the bakers and how they're uh, using only the freshest natural ingredients. I'm now back on the bread train after avoiding bread entirely for over a decade in the name of uh, getting away from the grain-based diet. Now, when you make good, sensible choices in fresh-baked products, uh, I tremendously enjoy adding sourdough bread to things like a hamburger or eggs or things that I can uh, control at home. But when you're out dining, uh, stay away from the processed crap and try to do the best you can with what they're offering on the menu. And I will have uh, intricate conversations with the server to see if they can do things my way. Like, please, can you cook my omelet in butter rather than uh, vegetable oil? And they'll say, uh, let me check. I'll be back. I'll ask the kitchen. Okay, thank you. Please do check. Um, if you're talking about P.F. Chang's, sorry, guys. Uh, the guy came back and he said, no, I'm sorry. I cannot cook your Brussels sprouts in butter. Um, we, only, we only do it in oil. And I go, well, that's not a very um, satisfactory answer. Um, I, I can't believe you're saying no to me. Are you sure? And uh, boy, I took the matter up to corporate. I sent some lengthy, thoughtful emails, did not get a reply from P.F. Chang's corporate. So I pound, pounded on that hammer. That's one thing you uh, don't want to do to me if I write a long, thoughtful email and you don't even reply when I go out of my way to help you as a corporate entity uh, serve the, uh, the population better and have a healthier menu. Oh no, I am not going to give that one up. So uh, I finally got some response there. And I believe the resolution was that they offered me a $25 gift certificate, uh, but pretty much said that um, they weren't going to tackle that challenge of you know, transitioning from uh, vegetable oil over to a healthy cooking fat like butter. And uh, I think my answer was like, so you want me to spend this $25 on some more nasty food that you refuse to uh, modify? And anyway, that's our mid-roll commercial for P.F. Chang's. Don't go there because they don't care about your health. <sighs> and I've been going there for a long time. Love a lot of their entrees. It's delicious food, but um, kind of a bad experience there. So I'm going to uh, share that with you, just like I promised to share everything. Oh, here we go. This is a, um, a YouTube comment about a comment written on YouTube. Um, that's not my favorite way to engage because I can't really reply uh, like I can an email. Our team can't reply very well, but we certainly do appreciate you commenting on the YouTube videos that we publish. And so this is going to be my indirect reply uh, to Joseph. So it's about the show that I did inspired by the training methods of the great Jakob Ingebrigtsen, whom I just saw in person up in Eugene, Oregon at the Diamond League Prefontaine Classic, where he doubled back-to-back -back days with sensational, some of the greatest distance performances of all time. He ran the second fastest mile in history in three minutes, 43, and the next day came back and beat fresh athletes with the fourth or fifth fastest 3,000 meters in history. So this guy is at the very top of his game, one of the highest performing athletes in the world and the greatest middle distance runner in the world. Um, Joseph says, what, what people don't take into account is that the threshold training stuff, this is the stuff that uh, Jakob promotes, sort of a novel training method called double threshold workouts. Uh, Joseph says it's a gimmick. The real reason for Jakob's success is that his, his dad started him running at a young age. He had a 10-year head start to begin building mileage when most kids are playing soccer or football. Uh, if you haven't noticed, the best chess players, football players, had parents who got them started at a much younger age than their peers. Um, I'm going to interrupt there and say, 
that's a good point. An early start is helpful. Tiger Woods got started at two years old and was hitting great golf shots when he was three and four and five. But it's not the end all, man. So there's also examples of athletes who have come to sport later and excelled. And this is um, um, some great commentary in my former podcast guest, David Epstein's book, uh, The Sports Gene. Um, my favorite chapter, it's called The Tale of Two High Jumpers. And he compares and contrasts two of the great jumpers in the world, um, a former Olympic gold medalist, Stefan Holm from Sweden, and uh, the Bahamian Donald Thomas, who is still competing on the world circuit after 15 years, one of the longest careers on elite high jumping ever. And the quick story was that uh, Stefan Holm was bred to be a high jumper since age five, and he practiced every day for years and years, eventually won the Olympic gold medal. And this guy, Donald Thomas, was pulled off the basketball court at a junior college in Illinois. Some high jumpers dared him to try it because he was bragging uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the brewery off campus that he could probably jump seven feet no problem. They said, oh, you don't understand. That's like near Olympic uh, caliber. And they took him out to the track and, and his very first attempt uh, at high jump, the first time he learned the event or, or saw the event and what it was all about, he jumped uh, somewhere around seven feet. And they dragged him straight to the track coach's office and said, we just pulled this guy off the basketball court and he just cleared seven feet in the high jump. And the coach is like, no way, not true. And less than one year later, after first being exposed to the high jump, this junior college basketball player from Illinois representing his nation of the Bahamas won the world championship in the high jump, uh, clearing a height of seven foot eight, uh, two meters, 30 or thereabouts. And so it was the compare contrast to say that those who are genetically gifted and of course have whatever athletic background he had as a baller was able to translate that immediately and quickly, uh, a direct in-your-face dismissal of the widely touted 10,000-hour rule. It's just not true. It's not that simple. But hey, getting kids started in anything that they have a passion for and that can challenge them to be especially more active and athletic is great. So that will help me get back into Joseph's letter. <laughs> Parents got them started at a much younger age. Also, Jakob was born into a family with uh, Olympic medalist brothers to train with every day. Um, they were doing uh, great consistency since a young age. Now, if a high schooler who just started this and uh, bought into uh, Jakob's training protocol, they would never become good enough to get recruited by colleges. Um, at least in the U.S., we have a long period of time. The high schoolers have four years to put up race times. And then in college, you can develop and develop. Um, then you, uh, if you don't make the team, you're going to um, probably drop out of the sport. So we need long periods of development, I think, is his comment. And um, I appreciate you uh, writing in. And it's probably uh, a fair reflection to say that whatever specific protocol that Jakob is following, um, I wouldn't call it a gimmick. That's a little harsh but it's just one element of his overall success formula. And one huge element indeed has been that he has been focused on these goals since age 11. And I will uh, plug the fantastic uh, YouTube series. It's a reality TV series filmed in Norway uh, called Team Ingebrigtsen. And the documentarians spent a decade with the family. Again, Jakob has two older brothers that were both European gold medal champions and world champion or Olympic medalists in middle distance. So this running family uh, was fascinating to follow for such a long period of time. And they have interviews with Jakob at age 11 saying, oh yes, uh, my goal is to be faster than both of my brothers and to be the greatest runner in the world. And so here's this kid talking at 11 and now he's actualizing all those goals and it makes the reality show uh, that much more special. How's that, everybody? What do you think? Yeah, Jakob is uh, something else. Look him up on YouTube, and you can see some of his racing. Uh, so Larry says, um, I've been subscribed for some time. After benefiting from the keto lifestyle, I find your uh, videos very confusing as of late. I understand we're all different, uh, but obviously you've never had a weight problem, and you're an elite athlete. So thank you so much, Larry W., for uh, the direct feedback. And I can understand how it might be confusing when I am a proponent of ancestral diet, uh, the, uh, the devoted elimination of nutrient-deficient processed foods, especially all manner of refined grains and sugars. And that means that you are 
by definition, transitioning from standard American diet to what could be fairly called a, quote, low-carb diet. And now I'm here uh, extolling the uh, benefits of slamming a whole bunch of fruit every morning and making a devoted effort to go and find uh, uh, increased carb intake every single day. So again, I want to back up and distinguish between nutrient-deficient processed carbs, which will destroy your health, whoever you are, or are unnecessary, whoever you are. Even if you're a high-calorie burning athlete with a six-pack who can slam down uh, whatever you want, you know, more more bowls of cereal at night and uh, be no worse for the wear the next morning, it's still an athlete has high-performance needs and high-nutritional needs. So I still don't see the justification for consuming nutrient-deficient processed carbohydrates and it can be fairly called one of the biggest problems uh, with the uh, the standard Western diet, along with uh, refined industrial seed oils and all the processed foods that are made with ingredients like processed carbohydrates and seed oils. So I don't think there's any confusion there. And I don't think anyone can uh, accuse me of uh, dispensing confusing information on that point. But to Larry's other important point, um, I've never had a weight problem and I'm an elite athlete. So uh, perhaps that puts me in uh, different parameters. And it, indeed, I've, I've said that myself. I've said it several times, even on this show. So if you're carrying excess body fat, I will help you uh, with a lot of programming and content to first clean up your diet and go point toward nutritious foods. Get them, get the junk out of your cupboard, get it out of your refrigerator, go to the farmer's market, buy some eggs, buy some fruit, buy your favorite vegetables, buy some grass-fed beef, buy some pasture-raised eggs, go and get the oily cold water fish and stock your environment with nutritious foods. And then we will check in a year from now and see if you've uh, turned the corner from the accumulation of spare tire or uh, getting rid of some of that excess body fat. I guarantee you're going to succeed simply by turning over to nutrient-dense, easy-to-digest foods. That's why I published my Carnivore Scores food rankings chart that you can download for free at bradkearns.com. And it's a tiered ranking system of the most nutritious foods on earth, both in the animal categories and the plant foods category. And I really am convinced after so long spending, uh, obsessing and immersing uh, into this world for uh, 15 years and writing so many books about the topic and studying so many other uh, great leaders and great researchers, that it really is the, the main gateway is to just clean up your diet and then you're going to have tremendous success. And then if you want to write a year from now and say, hey, Brad, uh, I only consume the most nutritious and well-chosen foods and I'm still carrying 10 pounds of excess body fat. I guess I eat too much fruit, consume too many eggs, have too many servings of ground beef uh, or, or uh, drink too many uh, quarts of uh, raw milk from the dairy that I drive out to and, and buy things fresh every week. Um, what can I do? And then we can have some further discussion about refining and optimizing. But I still have yet to meet someone who is eating so cleanly and still struggling uh, with uh, you know, excess body fat and adverse blood values, except for people who are still in recovery from long traumatic uh, metabolic experiences, such as decades of uh, working too hard, sleeping too little, eating shit food and thinking they're going to turn it around with a six-month uh, spa protocol of cleaning everything up. Sometimes you have to be more patient. Sometimes the approach to exercise is overly stressful. So you kind of go in a circle and come back to a uh, square run where you're burning so many calories and exercise and so exhausted and depleted that these nutrient-deficient processed quick-energy foods find their way back into your diet because you're over-exercising. So everything has to be dialed and optimized. And I guess I'm uh, referencing all the content that I try to put out there on this show because we have sleep experts, we have fitness experts, we have everyday movement experts, and we have diet experts, and all the messaging uh, needs to be uh, rolled together to, to get things to happen and to get away from these uh, disease patterns that are so common today. Um, uh, Gary Green made a quick comment on YouTube, and he said, uh, how about a discussion about heavy metals uh, contained in dark chocolate. Um, and there's some controversy here because uh, a lot of people are talking about the, um, the, the bad uh, test results 
on even some quality dark chocolate bars have been implicated to be containing um, elevated levels of uh, dangerous heavy metals, things that we shouldn't be ingesting uh, like lead. And I asked my former podcast guest and uh, artisan chocolate maker, Sean Askinosi, about this. And he said that um, these, uh, these contentions have been exaggerated. And if you have a test result that says um, the, the, uh, the levels of lead found were um, you know, 12 times higher than the allowable, um, he pointed me to an internet article where we're talking about such low amounts that um, it's, it's kind of a misinterpretation of the results. There's no health risks uh, involved. And when you source good bean-to-bar chocolate, which is the essence of um, all the commentary I have about dark chocolate, I even have an ebook uh, called A Connoisseur's Guide to Dark Chocolate that you can download for free. Uh, when you go to bradkearns.com that talks about this a bit. Uh, but the heavy metal risks have been exaggerated uh, for um, uh, uh, headline uh, you know, alluring, and it's generally nothing to worry about when you source good quality chocolate from uh, bean-to-bar providers. And that uh, distinguishes from the commodity chocolate that you see the major brands putting out where uh, the the actual raw material comes from unknown origin, uh, poor quality control standards, and especially from uh, countries in Africa that are poorly regulated, that are very likely using child slave labor to bring you that inexpensive Hershey bar, Nestle's Crunch, Snickers, uh, Milky Way, all the main stuff. So that's why I'm a big fan of the bean-to-bar chocolate movement and the fair trade stamp that you see on many bars or when you contact the manufacturer, they assure you that they are a bean-to-bar provider, which means they know where they got their beans. Uh, they sourced them from farmers working uh, with sustainable methods, not using child slave labor. And you're basically, just like many, many other products, you're scrutinizing the source. Just like when you go and get grass-fed beef from the local farmer uh, 30 miles away, and he's selling his wares in the farmer's market, uh, as opposed to getting the, um, uh, the mainstream uh, animal foods that are uh, produced by concentrated animal feeding operations and all the health objections and environmental objections uh, those have. Last question for this show from Blue Dog on YouTube. Hey, Brad, I totally busted out laughing when you said, we officially invite you to F off. I'm going to give that supplement a go. I'm not one of those people who sits around taking supplements and expecting wondrous things to happen. I think that was some of my commentary I'm trying to keep some perspective on some of the claims that you see made about supplements and how amazing they are and how now your workouts are, uh, you know, 15% better than they were last week. Um, having been immersed in that world as a professional athlete on the triathlon circuit for many years and being approached by so many people with their products claiming that they can improve my performance by 5%. And I'm like, wait a second. So you're telling me if I take this, uh, the stuff in this bottle, I'm going to beat all these other competitors who are racing very hard and are the top guys in the world. I'm going to now beat them by a minute. You're full of crap. Don't even talk to me about that. Let's get reasonable and realize that the main goal of supplements overall is to supplement a healthy natural foods diet. Um, so there's no uh, performance breakthroughs that are going to be found with supplementation. It's only, it's only really going to be uh, limiting uh, the damage and destruction that's caused by um, strenuous and uh, stressful workouts. So even when I talk about um, the whey protein and the creatine in the superfuel, um, we're talking about a convenient way to get your protein needs met. Um, and same with the creatine a convenient way to get the doses of creatine that your muscles need to optimize. And it can make you uh, perform better, recover faster, be stronger, but only when you do the work necessary to uh, maximize the benefit of the supplement and realize that it's very difficult to, um, it, with eating natural whole foods alone, it's difficult to get enough creatine every day. And it's difficult to get enough protein every day. Uh, but if you were able to, like my boy Andrew at Power Project, who eats 10 eggs every morning, he is probably uh, not a great candidate to go and supplement 
with more protein or more of the great uh, B vitamins or choline that are in the egg yolks because he's consuming so many eggs every single day. So I want to put that term supplement in the forefront of your mind and realize the literal meaning of it rather than looking for shortcuts and buying into all the marketing hype and the glitz and the messaging that is used to uh, sell products thinking that you're going to get some amazing breakthroughs. So thanks for that comment, Blue Dog. And thank you all for listening, watching. If you want to join the conversation, send an email to podcast at bradventures.com. And I will see you next time for more Q&A. There's more, 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 always more. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new zero-drop minimalist shoe with the distinctive five-toe design from my main man, Mark Sisson. Paluvas give you the most authentic barefoot-style experience, but with sufficient cushioning so you can use them for all manner of daily movement, especially walking and many other fitness and athletic activities. Paluvas are also incredibly stylish, so you get a barefoot shoe that you're not embarrassed to wear around in daily life. It's been so cool to see the popularity of minimalist shoes grow over the recent years, but Paluvas are a step ahead of every other zero-drop wide-box shoe because of the critical feature of individual five-toe articulation, a separate slot for each of your toes. This allows for correct dynamic movement of the foot through the walking or running stride, which is impossible when your toes are encased into a single box, even a wide box. Well, you might know that minimalist shoes have faced controversy in recent years for causing injuries from inappropriate use. So here is the big picture mission. We want to get you walking in Paluvas, living in your Paluvas, going barefoot in your home or other safe areas as often as possible. Go ahead and use your specialized cushiony running shoes or your basketball shoes, work boots, high heels, things that you want to wear when you want to wear them, but wear your Paluvas as much as possible to reawaken the natural functionality of the human foot to stand, walk, run, and perform. Do you want to try a pair? I'm certain that when you put them on and walk around, you are going to quickly realize that these are the most comfortable, natural shoes that you've ever worn. They are designed to feel like you're, quote, walking barefoot on a putting green. Please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Thank you so much for listening to the BRAD Podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkerns.com to download five free ebooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life, how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.